Really, the point of this series has been to build conviction into us about who we are. You know, some of these statements are, are foundational beliefs. Uh, some are calls to action. But, I mean, these are really all the, the, the main ideas from the, the different messages in this series. But, um, you know, as we think about who we are as a church, the fact that we're called uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ individually, uh, collectively, and we think about, uh, you know, what God has called us to as a church. You know, really, it's, it's our calling, it's our mission. You know, we say to meet people where they are and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. That means that you and I have a responsibility to reach out to the people within our lives. That means that we have a responsibility as a church, along with other churches in this area, you know, to reach the people in our community, to make a difference uh, around us, you know, to meet human needs. So, you know, it, we want to, uh, we're called by God to make disciples where we are. You know, he wants us to, to, to grow because, uh, you know, we're reaching people and more people are coming to Christ. But at the same time, you know, we know we're called biblically uh, to plant churches here, uh, plant churches in Honduras. I mean, the things that God's doing there, you know, with the churches and the seminary and the Boys and Girls Clubs and, and, and the different things uh, th that are going on. And, of course, you know, we bought some property this year, and, uh, you know, we want to pay that off and raise money and be able to build uh, here in the future because, you know, we want to grow here. We want to reach people here. We, we're called to reach people, you know, outside of us. And I, I don't know about you, but that both excites me and feels a little overwhelming to me. I mean, really, if you pick kind of one of those things, I mean, that, that kind of feels like, yeah, we could do that. But uh, to talk about the, those different things, reach people here, grow here, plant churches here, plant churches, you know, uh, see the ministry in Honduras continue to grow, that feels like a God-sized thing to me. To, to me. You understand, that's really where God wants us to be in our lives, is he wants to do things in our lives that are X number of steps beyond what we feel comfortable with, because that's when we have to depend on him. And so that's where he wants us to be as a church, and that's really primarily where I'm focused in the application of this message today. But you can take what, you're, what we're talking about this morning and apply it to your own life as well. Because the reality is, is that God wants to do things in your life that he has things that he's called you to do that are X number of steps beyond where you feel comfortable. And most of us, if we're honest, need to admit, this is true of me, I talked about this earlier in the series, you know, I got a pretty small comfort zone. Most of us have a pretty small comfort zone. And a lot of our lives as Americans is arranging our life to be, to make it as comfortable as it can be. Right? Isn't that what we're taught? That that's how, that's how it's supposed to be? But when you read the pages in the New Testament, and, and I hope that's one of the things that's become clear uh, in, in this series, is God's priority for our lives is not to make them as comfortable as they can be. Remember, no more soft Christianity. He's called us uh, to danger instead of security. He, he's caused us to, to trust Him instead of just to, to focus on material things. He's called us to go uh, instead of say. He's called us to put uh, Jesus first in, in every part of our lives. And so 
You know, God's called us as individuals to trust him, to walk in his plan for our lives. He's called us as a church to live out scripture, to, to not just be inward focused, to not be about ourselves, to do things that are going to challenge and stretch us, to do God-sized things. And then, then the question becomes is, how do we do that? And so the main idea, the, the, the thing that I think God wants us to, to take with us from his word today that, uh, and see that's necessary if we're going to live out the vision he's given us as a church, if we're going to live out the things we've talked about in this series, if we're going to be who he's called us to be. It's the idea that we can't do that on our own, but we can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the big idea that I want you to get today is that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do the work of God. If we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish as individuals, as a church, if we're going to be the church he wants us to be, if your Christian life is going to be what God wants it to be, it can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just as much as it's impossible for us to save ourselves, it's actually impossible to live the Christian life in our own strength also. And, and I hope that's a conviction that we carry with us today. So if you've got a Bible, we're actually going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Zechariah chapter 4. And uh, while you're finding it, or it'll be on the screen, let me just give you a little background, <clears throat> kind of set it up for you. So in, in Zechariah chapter 4, this is the, the fifth in, in, in a series of visions that God was giving to the prophet Zechariah. And uh, John MacArthur writes, the purpose of this vision was to encourage Zerubbabel to complete the temple rebuilding, to assure him of divine enablement for that uh, venture, and the endless supply for the future glory of Messiah's kingdom and, and, and temple. So, you know, what had happened is the Jews had been in the Babylonian captivity under the discipline of God, but you know, that 70 years was up, it was time for them to come back. So God worked through uh, Darius, and he issued a decree to bring them back into the land. And a lot of the background of this is found in the book of Ezra and also relates to the book of Nehemiah. But um, as, as they came back into the land, uh, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 16 here, one of the, the first things that God had told Zechariah was that they were to rebuild the temple. Now, this wasn't the full-scale, glorious version that Solomon's temple was, but nonetheless, it was a command, a promise, a directive from God, God's plan that he was going to use them to rebuild the temple in, in the city of Jerusalem. And so, basically, Zerubbabel was kind of the, maybe political is not the right word, he was the civil leader, so to speak. He was leading uh, the, the construction project, leading them as they uh, were, were building and populating the city. Ezra uh, was the spiritual leader, and... Um, Basically, this vision that we're going to read, it, it was based on the menorah, you know, the, the national symbol of Israel, the, the seven-pronged, uh, so to speak, lampstand uh, that was in the holy place of the tabernacle. But we're going to read there was more to this lamp and this vision. There's actually a total of 49 pipes that were supplying a, a continual supply of oil which symbolizes that the Holy Spirit and his power 
It's continually available to us to do what God has called us to do. Uh, There's also a couple of trees here that it talks about. This symbolized Joshua, the high priest, uh, Zerubbabel, uh, the the civil leader. And and so really this was, in its immediate context, a word of encouragement to Zerubbabel as he goes about uh, trying to build this temple in the face of difficulty. It it has a long-term fulfillment. Uh, is still yet to come when, as God uh, completely restores uh, Israel and you know, when Jesus comes back and uh, many uh, of the Jews are turned to him. Uh, in between, right now, it applies to the church. You remember in, in the book of Revelation, what's the symbol that's used there in Revelation 2 and 3 in the seven letters to the church? What's the symbol of the church? It's a lampstand. And ultimately, it's pointing the Messiah to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, who, who wants to live through us, and so his light would be reflected uh, to others. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind and, and as far as background as we read through this, and hopefully it'll help it make more sense. So, let's just read the, the, the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and look at, at some specific things. So, Zechariah 4 1 says, Now the angel talked with me, came back and wakened me. As a man who is wakened out of his sleep. He had just been so overwhelmed by these visions. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you, know what these are? do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and, and said to me, and, th- and this is the, the key verse. I'd encourage you to memorize this verse. He, he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zer- Zerubbabel, not by uh, might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by, my, not by military power, not by an army is the literal word in Hebrew, nor by power, not by human uh, effort and power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says, who are you, O great mountain? And, and the mountain that he's referring to here was what God had called him to do, uh, this vision that he had given him, chapter 1, verse 16, of rebuilding the temple. But, you know, we could take it and and apply it to anything that God has genuinely called us to do in our lives. It may feel like moving a mountain. Okay, so that's apparently what this seemed like uh, to Zerubbabel. But he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. In other words, in the power of the Holy Spirit, this mountain that you're facing is going to be knocked down. It says, and he shall bring forth the capstone, which is the final stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. In other words, he's reaffirming God's promise to him. He's encouraging him. He's saying, this is going to be completed, and you're going to be able to celebrate. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, uh, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Now, hang on to that. We're going to come back to this. He says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But he also says, it's by the hands of Zerubbabel. Now, understand, one of my favorite sayings again, you fall into the ditch on either side of the road, right? 
Sometimes we fall in the ditch on uh, the side of the road of being like, okay, it's by the work of my hands that this is going to get done. Sometimes we fall in the ditch on the other side of the road, and, and we're like, I'm just going to sit back and pray and, and let God show up and zap everything, and everything's going to be great. But he says it's not either or. He says it's the power of the Spirit working through our hands. You see that? That's an important balance to get in our lives if we're going to serve God effectively, if we're going to live out God's plan for our lives. It's God's Spirit working through our hands. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me uh, to you. For who has despised the day of small things? I mean, maybe people were saying, ah, what's this temple? It doesn't compare to Solomon's. That's what God had told him to do. Maybe people were like, well, I can't do much. It's little stuff, that doesn't matter. But he says, who's despised the day of small things? Because one small thing and another small thing and another small thing and another small thing and the power of the Holy Spirit add up to God's will being accomplished. He says, the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, they are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and its left? And I further answered and said to him, uh, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? This is kind of an interesting conversation, isn't it? And I said, no, my Lord. He's like, I don't know. Well, do you know? No, I really don't know is kind of how it's going here. So he says, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole uh, earth. And like I said, speaking of Joshua and Zerubbabel, actually, you know, some Jews in, in, in history have believed that there'd be two messiahs, a political messiah and a religious messiah, and kind of a misunderstanding of that is where this comes from. But, it, you know, the messiah was prophet, priest, and king. So you have Zechariah the prophet, Joshua the priest, Zerubbabel the civil leader, but you have all of those offices then wrapped up in uh, the Messiah. But the thing that we're going to focus on here is the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of God. Now, how does that work itself out in our lives? And so I, I want to show you uh, four principles uh, you know, from these verses, and then at the end, I'm going to give you a couple of New Testament uh, applications. So number one, anything that God really calls us to do is impossible in our own strength. Anything that God really calls us to do is impossible in our own strength. And by that, I don't mean we can't do it. There's a lot of things we can fake spiritually. I mean, if it's really going to be of eternal value, if it's really going to be fruitful, if it's really going to be and accomplish what God wants it to be, it has to be in His strength and the power of the Holy Spirit and not in ours. Uh, look again at what he says here uh, in, 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 in verse 11. You know, he, he calls it a, a mountain. You know, that's what this seemed like. And Warren Wearsby writes of this, he says, With their limited resources, completing the temple must have looked to those Jews as impossible as moving a mountain. Because if, if you know the history of it, 
they started the project, they had opposition from the Samaritans who went to the, the civil leaders. It got stopped for several years. They had to appeal again to get permission to start the work uh, again. And so, you know, he goes on to write, what mountains was Zerubbabel facing? Discouragement among the people, opposition from the enemies around them, poor crops, an unstable economy, people not obeying God's law, problems not too different from those the people of God have faced throughout the centuries. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going uh, to be challenges. You know, I mean, as a pastor, my dream is that everybody in the church at the same time would be in the place that God wants them to be and everybody would be happy and healthy and holy and good and there wouldn't be any problems, but it's not going to happen on the earth. That's in heaven when the senior pastor Jesus makes everything right. You know, Jesus said in, in John 15, uh, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And, and, and it's kind of a, a very similar analogy. You know, here you have this oil flowing. You know, here you have the, the life uh, that, that's in uh, the, the vine flowing into the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him um, will bring forth much fruit. Why? Because without me, you can do nothing. Um, you know, that's the conviction that God wants us to have. If we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, it has to be him doing it. Um, you know, when I felt like God was calling me into the ministry, I ran from it because in part, I mean, part, I just didn't want to do it, want to do other things, but in part because it just seemed like I can't do this. Do you understand? There's a degree to which in our lives, that's where God wants us to be. And sometimes our problem after we've been a Christian for a while is we start feeling like, well, you know, I got this now. And, and, and we miss out on God's power. I mean, you know, when we felt like God called us to start this church, uh, you know, it wasn't like God just started speaking to us. And it's like, okay, that sounds like fun. Let's go run and do this. You know, no people, no money. That's feels pretty overwhelming. I mean, you know, God had to make it really supernaturally clear because, like I said, my comfort zone's pretty small. Um, you know, when I talk about, think about what I was saying earlier, what God's called us to do as a church, that, that's exciting, but that feels overwhelming. And here's my point. That's where God wants us to be. He wants it to be beyond us. Is there a way that God's called you to serve him? Is there something he's called you to do in your life as a spouse, as a parent, in your job? Maybe it's a new direction in your life in some way that you're kind of holding back on because it just kind of feels beyond you and above you and too much for you. That may be exactly where God wants you to be. What's your role in what he's calling us to do here? If God's really calling us to it, it's humanly impossible. But here's the thing that goes with that, okay? Here's the second principle. God's empowering is available for everything he calls us to do. 
God's empowering is available for everything that he calls, it, calls us to do. Uh, somebody's put it this way. This might be a better way to say it. If God calls you to it, he will see you through it. If God calls you to it, he will see you through it. Now, there's an important caveat there. Has God really called you to it? You see, because sometimes we try to dream our own dreams, come up with our own plans, and ask God to bless it, and sometimes things don't work out, and we get disappointed and disillusioned, when really what we were doing, we weren't doing God's will. We were asking God to bless our own ideas, and God doesn't work that way. I want you to see something here, Zechariah 1.16. Notice what it says. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it. Zerubbabel was doing what God had called him to do. It looked like a mountain, but God says, since it's my plan, since I've called you to it, I'm going to see you through it. My spirit is going to empower and avail and, and, and empower you and, and enable you to do what I have called you to do. And so here's the thing though. Remember what we read? Zerubbabel's hands. They were doing the work, right? See, our problem a lot of times is, is we want God to knock the mountain down, and then we say, well, I'll do what you told me to do. You understand, God knocks the mountain down one piece at a time as we're taking the next step of obedience that he's called us to. See, faith is not a feeling. Faith is obedient action. And when we take those steps of obedient action, that's when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work. We want the Spirit's power in advance, but we actually experience the Holy Spirit's power as we're in obedient action. And, I mean, I'm preaching to myself on that one because there's a lot of times I'm like, you know, God, do this or that. When really, and when I'm praying, when God's really like, okay, you do this, and then that's when I'll do that. And so, um, you know, the only way that I could experience God's enabling to preach was by actually preaching. Do you understand that? I mean, I was never going to get the power of the Holy Spirit to preach until I started preaching. We weren't going to experience God's provision, his supernatural work, uh, to enable us to start a church until we said yes, and we sold our house, and we moved here, and we laid it on the line. And then as we did it, as our hands were set to the work, we've seen time after time after time for 16 years now, God come through. You know, when, when we... Uh, you know, part of our vision when we started the church was to do hands-on missions, not just, you know, give to a denomination or something like that, because biblically the church is the missionary. Uh, but, you know, we didn't know exactly what that would look like, but when we started going to Honduras, I had no idea that it would look like what it looks like now. I mean, if you told me that there would be this much going on 
you know, I probably wouldn't even believed you. But what did we do? We did what God called us to do. We took a step, and then God built, and we took a step, and God provided. And a lot of times, you know, when you're walking in the will of God, you don't have to make stuff happen. You just have to grab what God puts in front of you. He's connecting the dots, and, and, and we just kind of have to take that next step, and he's providing because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So what step is it that he's leading you to take in your personal life that you're holding back and saying, well, God, if you do this or that, I'll take the step, when the reality is when you take the step, if he's really directing you, that's when you're going to experience his power. That's when you're going to experience his provision. You know, what's the next step for us as a church? What's your role? What's God calling? you to do in the steps that he's calling us to take to fulfill the vision, the mission that he's given us as a church. So it's humanly impossible in our own strength, but then his empowering is available for everything he calls us to do. And then we see in verse 6 very specifically that God empowers us by his spirit. We see that God empowers us by his spirit. Now, there's a, a lot of different ways that that manifests itself. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Bible teaches us in, in the New Testament, you know, produces spiritual fruit, produces the character of Christ. He empowers us to witness. He gives us spiritual gifts uh, to serve. He's teaching us. He's guiding us. He's convicting us uh, of sin. He's giving us peace. He's our comforter. Um, That's why the way to live the Christian life is in dependence upon the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the person of God, the presence of God, the power of God in the life of a believer. And here, you know, there's this explicit verse which says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But the, the, the vision here is using this oil that's continually flowing as a picture of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, I want to read you a quote from Charles Feinberg's commentary on Zechariah. And he's talking about here why oil is such a good symbol for for the, the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, first, oil lubricates, thus abolishing friction and producing uh, smoothness. The Holy Spirit, uh, it's the Holy Spirit who gives smoothness and abolishes wear in our service for God. Second, oil heals. In biblical times, wine and oil were applied to wounds. No one but the Spirit of God can heal the heart wounded by life's cares or sorrows. Third, oil lights. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates the sacred page, the Bible, and the pathway of the believer. Fourth, oil warms. Whether it be the sad plight of the lost soul or the need of a fellow member in the body of Christ or the truth of God, our cold hearts are unresponsive except for the warming, glowing pulsating power of the Spirit of God that penetrates and diffuses warmth. Fifth, oil invigorates. It increases the energy of the body. Sixth, oil adorns. It was used in the feast of the Old Testament times and was never applied in times of sorrow or grief. The life lived under the control of the Spirit of God is radiant with the joy of the Lord and fragrant with the perfume of the presence of the Lord. Seventh, oil polishes. The Spirit takes the rough edges from the character of the believer. And here's the point. If we as individuals 
And we as a church are going to be who God calls us to be. It's only going to happen through the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. As He's flowing through us. Okay? So, humanly impossible. God's power. God's power comes through the Spirit. But then, the last principle, and kind of circle back to what I was saying as we read the Scripture. The Spirit empowers us as we obediently do the work that God has called us to do. Remember, the New Testament tells us we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can like, it's kind of like pouring water on that fire. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by, by our sin. I mean, the Holy Spirit is continually present in the life of the believer. We're the temple of the Spirit of God. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But we can miss his presence in our lives uh, through sin, through disobedience, as we quench and grieve the Spirit. But the Spirit empowers us as we obediently do the work. So remember, you know, th- this is God's road, the Spirit working through us. We can fall in the ditch on, you know, sitting back and just, you know, saying, God, do it. Apart from us, we can fall in the ditch in, in you know, trying to do it all of ourselves in our own strength, in our own effort instead of depending upon God. But the idea here is that God did not do the work for Zerubbabel, but the Spirit empowered him as he put his hands to the task and obediently did the work. It works the same way for us. Listen, if we're going to reach people for Christ, we got to share the gospel, but the Holy Spirit's got to draw them to Christ. Right? If we're going to minister to each other, disciple each other, we got to share the word of God, but the Holy Spirit is the one who has to take that and work it out in people's lives. If we're going to comfort and encourage each other, you know, the Spirit is the comforter, but we got to be there and be in relationship with each other. You know, in our individual lives, if you want your marriage uh, to be better, you can pray for it, but there's probably some things that you ought to do when it comes to obeying Scripture if you want the Spirit to answer that prayer. Same thing with parenting in our work life. Every other part of life, it's not either or, it's both and. He empowers us as we do the work, not instead of doing the work for us. And so, I mean, this is such a vivid, I think, powerful verse. It's like a mountain, but he turns the mountain into a plain. But he does it as Zerubbabel is doing the work, and they, you know, they're going to place the final stone. God's going to fulfill his plan. They're going to celebrate. It's the power of the Spirit. God's glorified, but they still had to do the work. And, and, and let me just remind us what it says here. Um, in, it, it talks about here, you know, not despising the day of small things. Listen, some of you, you may want God to do big things in our church. You may want God to do big things in your life. Remember what Jesus said, he who is faithful and little is ruler over much. Don't despise the day of small things, of small beginnings. Sometimes we just have to do what's put in front of us. Take one step at a time. Realize that every part is important. You know, I, I didn't wake up one day and say, well, you know, God's calling me to ministry and start being a pastor the next day. 
you know, there was about seven years in between those two things. And in those seven years, Rusty's dad mentored me. I finished college. Uh, I went to seminary and, and, and finished seminary. Uh, I served on a couple of church staffs. Uh, I, I preached anywhere somebody would invite me to preach. Um, you know, I was a children's church pastor. I, I taught a Bible study at a retirement home. I did about every little thing you can do in, in, in ministry. Uh, because, you know, you don't say, well, God's calling me to ministry, and the next day you're ready to be a pastor. Even, you know, serving in all those ways, I wasn't really ready to be a pastor when I started being a pastor at 26 years old. Maybe I'm still not now. I think maybe sometime in the intervening 22 years, hopefully, uh, I kind of got there, but uh, it, it's a process. It's a process. And, and, and sometimes, once again, we're just like God, you know, we just expect God to just snap his fingers and zap everything and do something awesome. But, but the thing about it is if God did it that way, we wouldn't be ready for it, and we'd still end up messing it up. It's a process. It's a process. God's growing us, and God's developing us, and God's building us. There's things that we can do as a church now that we couldn't have done 10 years ago because we have so many more uh, mature believers in our church who can carry out the work. God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. It's always a process in, in our lives. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Grab what God's put in front of you. Take the next step. Obey what he's called you to do. He's, you, you may, don't despise the small things. Be faithful in the little things. And God will use you more and more. And listen, don't forget that in our ministry as a church, I don't think there really are small things. You know, there's people back in the nursery right now. That's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. Uh, there's people in other kinds of children's ministry. Uh, you know, Brandon's filming and putting this online. You know, Jacob's doing the media. Everything is important because it takes everything working together for the thing that God wants it to be to come about. So, you know, I, I may be talking about, like, you know, planting churches and doing like, stuff like that, and that may feel like an overwhelming thing to me. You may be thinking, man, I don't know, in planting a church. You know, I just, just the thought of serving in some way in the church, that seems a little overwhelming to me. Well, do what God's called you to do. Trust him to enable and empower you to do it. Take that next step. Put what he, do what he's put in front of you and see what God does with it. And if we all do that together, God, over time, will accomplish more and more and more through us for his glory and for the good of people. It's not by might or by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. But the spirit works through obedient people. What's God calling you to do? All right, let me close and just kind of give a couple of New Testament applications here. Number one. If you're going to experience this in your life, you got to know God. The Spirit of God actually has to be in your life. Otherwise, you're just, it's all on your own. It's just empty religious effort. So if that's you, if, if, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your step here is to repent of your sin, to trust Jesus. Uh, to, to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. And when that happens, God 
comes into your life. His spirit comes into your heart to indwell you, to, to be there, to be the that person, presence, and power of God in your life. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So if you've never come to that place in your life where you've come to a complete dependence upon Jesus Christ for your, the forgiveness of your sins, for your salvation, you've never committed your life to him he invites you to do that today, to repent, to trust him, to give your life to him, and he'll send his spirit into your heart to make you a brand new person. But for those of us who are Christians, if we're going to, give this, if we're going to live this out, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, and Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, um, like I said before, God's spirit, if you're a Christian, He's never going to leave you. Understand, that, that's, that's why we can't lose our salvation. If that was dependent upon me, it would have lasted about 37 seconds. But since it's dependent upon the Holy Spirit, I'm sealed until the day of redemption. <coughs> We're kept by Him. But, you know, God's Spirit is present in our lives. But we don't automatically experience Him in our lives. He, he's making a contrast here. He says, don't be drunk with wine. To be drunk is to be under the control of an outside influence. It's to let something take us over that ultimately hurts us. That's what the first part of the verse is saying. And then this verse is kind of a comparison and a contrast at the same time. He's saying to be filled with the Spirit means to live under the control of the Holy Spirit, to depend on Him. Uh, to, to rely on him. So the spirit who lives inside of us, it's been said, is he the resident of our hearts or is he the president of our hearts? Are we depending on him? How are you filled with the spirit? It comes to the place of just simply confessing our sins, asking God to take control of us, asking him to fill us and lead us and guide us by his spirit and looking to him to guide us and to help us and enable and empower us instead of ourselves. It, it, it comes through prayer, the filling of the Spirit. It, it comes through being in the Word of God, communing with God, relying on God, and not trying to do things on, on our own. You know, it comes every day, I think, you know, in the morning. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. God, be in control of me today. Guide me, help me, empower me, enable me. Lord, I can't do this. God, you work in me. You come through. You make me who you want me to be. That's how we live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And then last, as a church, we're called to prayerfully operate in the power of the Spirit. And I don't have time to say much about this, but... You know, what I just said is the main thing because, you know, the church is, is people, we're some of our parts. If we are individually walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, then collectively we're going to be operating in the power of the Spirit. But then, you know, there, there's a text in Acts chapter 4 when the early church is being persecuted and they gather together and, and, and they pray and they seek God. And in verse 31, it says the place where they prayed was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it wasn't just an internal thing. Then externally, they spoke the word of God with boldness because the Holy Spirit 
came to the church on the day of Pentecost to empower us to make disciples of all the nations. And if we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit as a church, that's when we experience it, experience it when we're seeking to make disciples of all the nations because then and only then are we functioning in the authority of Jesus Christ according to Matthew 28. So, it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So, are we, individually and as a church, functioning in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, or are we living, functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit? Listen, you want to be the Christian God's called you to be? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be the husband or wife God's called you to be? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be the parent God's called you to be? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be the student or employee or business owner or leader that God's called you to be? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to reach people, fulfill the mission God's given us, make a, a, a supernatural impact in Jefferson City and other places in Honduras. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by might or by my power. Uh, or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If we're going to live out what we talked about in this series, we're going to be who God's called us to be. It's not by our might, not by our power, but it's by the Holy Spirit, says the Lord. Are we going to surrender to him, let him control us, and remember we experience the Spirit's power as we obediently do what God has called us to do. If we could, let's bow our heads and close our eyes.